So in that sense, sex is not just this technical game or this physical experience, but a manifestation of a mind, body, soul, spirit promise between the two people. Hey, my name is Katie Bulmer. I was your typical heartbroken and hungover sorority girl who looked for love in boys, Bacardi, and did I mention boys? After the breakup that broke me, I met the only man who can truly fulfill me. His name is Jesus. Shortly after that, I met my husband, the best example I have met of Jesus on this earth. Today, I have never been more sure I am right where I'm supposed to be on a mission to help today's young women find their life calling, stop dating dirtbags, and basically just be who I needed when I was younger. I've been called a big sis, an adopted mom, or my favorite title, a cool aunt. But however you think of me, get ready to be challenged and encouraged. This is the Truth For Your 20s podcast. Special thanks to our sponsor for this episode, Upward. Upward is a new app for Christian singles looking for meaningful relationships. If that describes you, make sure you head over to the App Store and download the Upward app today. I'm really excited to welcome my new friend, Kat Harris. She is author of the book, Sexless in the City. And I love that like three different people from different walks of life were all like, oh my gosh, you have to have Kat on your podcast. And when I started to do a little homework on her, I found this line on Amazon and you guys listen, this is so good. It says, this is about her book, discover a renewed biblical vision for sex singleness, and relationships, and transform into empowered women of faith equipped to navigate today's dating culture with vision, clarity, and freedom. I feel like I need some snaps after that. That sounds so good. I can't wait to hear all about it. Welcome to the podcast, my new friend. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm like, oh, well, I wrote that. (laughs) (laughs) It's fire. It's fire. Yes, there's steam coming off my laptop for meeting that. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much for sharing that. I appreciate it. Of course. Okay. So you wrote this book and I need to hear. So you just moved from New York City in the fashion industry. Tell me about, I guess, first of all, what was, let's back up. I want to hear all the things like right at once. So I'm like, you know, (laughs) a firecracker over here. (laughs) Introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. Yeah. So my name is Kat Harris and I have been an editorial photographer for the last 12 years between LA and New York City. And I still, my my main, my main squeeze is photography. And I also run an online platform called The Refined Woman, which I've been running for the last almost decade. And through there, I host a weekly podcast called The Refined Collective. I have my book, Sexless in the City, and I create a lot of content and curriculum for single women navigating the the world of dating and hookup culture. And really, my vision is to equip women to embrace their beauty, identity, and value and worth through storytelling, through my own story, and really support women in identifying the beliefs they hold about themselves, their sexuality, their sexual desire, their body, gender roles, kind of all that, all of those, all those things. And then saying, what are those beliefs rooted in? Are they rooted in fear, shame, scarcity, condemnation, or are they rooted in freedom? And how can we show up in our lives from a place of wholeness, abundance, love, hope, and really deconstruct that shame stuff out of our lives so we can begin living holistic and integrated 
lives. Yeah. Uh, I love it so much because even, first of all, even if a thousand people were talking about this, it wouldn't be enough. And there are not thousands of people talking about this, especially in the church world. So I'm so thankful for your voice and it's so valuable. So back us up. How did you get to doing the Refined Collective and all of that good stuff? Yeah. So the Refined Collective just is my podcast that was birthed out of my my blog. At that, So by the time I launched my podcast, I, I had been doing the website for about six years. And it just was a natural fit to take a lot of the interviews that we had been doing on the blog and into interview format. So yeah, that's kind of sort of how I got there with the podcast. And The Refined Woman started about... Well, yeah, about nine years ago. And I think I was leaving my 12th season of shooting New York Fashion Week. And I was leaving the runway one day and just felt this nudge to start something and create something on my own. And being in the fashion industry for so long, I just experienced really beautiful, sexy, glamorous moments. It is fun to be at New York Fashion Week. It is sexy to be backstage and go to fancy parties with open bars. And I love that. And I wanted to invite people onto a deeper path and a deeper story and create create and hold space for women to know you know what, even if you can afford the runway clothes, like it's not, de- it's not going to define you. It's not why you do or do not matter. So how can we have meaningful conversation in an industry that says you matter because of what you look like or what you offer the world? And so The Refined Woman really started as a place where a creative outlet to have more meaningful conversation. And, and the more, the more I grew and the more, the more the platform grew, the more I just started talking about my life and and my personal life. And so I've talked about everything from struggling with debilitating anxiety attacks and overcoming an eating disorder in college. And then in the last five or so years, I started talking about, hey, I grew up in the South and I grew up in purity culture and I was taught to save sex for marriage. And then I moved to New York and everything changed. And really came to a place where I was questioning my faith and questioning everything I was ever taught. And and in that went on my own journey of deconstruction. And and so yeah, the refined woman is this space where I bring who I am and I bring here's what I've here's what I'm going through and here's what I've gone through and in hopes that you can know that you are not so alone and that you have the permission to to ask hard questions and to doubt the narratives and scripts that you were given by home, by church, by school, by peers, by culture, all the things. I want to unpack this. So Mm -hmm. yes, purity culture, it's almost a cuss word um, when I hear about it, you know, in the world. And, you know, I think that it was all rooted in good intentions, but obviously- Maybe. Yeah, well, that's true. I don't even know. Um, (laughs) Where it led was confusing, to say the least. And yeah, I would love for you to unpack your experience with that. And then New York, like, yes, tell me all of the things about that, sister. Yeah. So I think whenever we approach anything, whenever we're approaching a movement or uh, a set of belief systems or values, I think it's important to ask who who is winning? (laughs) <laughs> who is uh, being supported by these narratives and who is suffering? Yeah. 
And I think one of the biggest things I discovered from purity culture and purity culture really sort of is a general phrase for a movement that happened often in the, in the nineties and early two thousands and thereafter led by evangelical Christian church circles to basically it was their marketing campaign to get teenagers to not have sex. (laughs) And I say, maybe they had good intentions. I want to believe that there were good intentions. However, I think that we all suffer when women are kept out of decision-making rooms and largely that movement was led by white men. Mm. And so in that many of the narratives were don't have sex until marriage, but who suffered the most from those narratives women did. Why did women suffer most from those narratives? Because women were taught things like, you know what? Boys will be boys and boys struggle with lust and boys are more sexual than girls. Where'd you get that information from? Yeah. (laughs) Says who? And, And so because of that, then it's the job of women. It's the job of young girls to protect the male gaze. What a problematic narrative to speak over a generation of girls and young women to say, just because you exist, your body is bad, your body is wrong. And and that movement hypersexualized the female body. And in that, it made women not only responsible for their own quote-unquote purity, their own sexual purity, it also put on women in a way that it was not put on men, the, the weight of the entire male population sexual purity. So not only was I supposed to be pure and be a quote unquote good Christian girl and not have sex, it was also my duty as a Christian woman to make sure that no guy ever struggles sexually which has a really low view of men. Yeah. And you know, we only it's only a short step from boys will be boys to she was asking for it. Mm. So I think a lot of purity culture perhaps it was led with good intentions, but I think underneath that I see a lot of control. I see a lot of fear. I see a lot of a lack of responsibility and ownership. So yeah, I grew up in that. I grew up in the South where I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but Christianity was sort of the air I breathed. And so when I became a Christian and started hearing things like don't have sex until marriage or wear fingertip length shorts or bikinis are bad, I never really questioned it, even though something in me always felt like, really? Really? Like guys are more sexual than me? Because I don't know, when I see that guy coming in hot with his six pack abs and sweaty. I kind of want to lick his stomach. I mean, but here I am having to wear oversized t-shirts and baggy shorts. And this was before one piece swimsuits were cute and sexy. And so it, I, I felt like deep down in me, I always felt really uncomfortable, but I wanted to be a good Christian girl. And I trusted the leaders in my life that they were telling me truthful things. And why I say everything changed for me when I moved to New York is because, first of all, I dated more in a year than I did in an an entire decade. And in that, realized, whoa, it's much harder not to have sex when you're actually dating. (laughs) 
And yeah. actually, when given the opportunity to abstain, my resolve was pretty paper thin. And I didn't feel guilty for going past certain boundaries that I didn't think I would go past. And I, it was the first time I really gave myself the permission to acknowledge what was coming up for me. Like, really? Am I not supposed to be having sex? It, are sleepovers with my boyfriend sinful? <laughs> yeah. um, what does God really say? And I, even though I was a Bible major in college, I could not tell you for the life of me if the Bible actually said don't have sex outside of marriage. And so it was really the first time that I gave gave myself the permission to question everything and then do research for myself as opposed to receiving someone else's soundbite as gospel truth. And I wrote down, you said something about how, you know, what you were taught, essentially, I would say fear was in the driver's seat of that movement. And yeah. I also think that it was from my, my standpoint anyway, is like, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex, get married, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, then people are trying to wrap around their brain. Okay. It was bad yesterday, but I said, I do. So now it's good. And no one was talking about that. And there was so much confusion. So I left for you to talk about, okay, so you realized, and I was like you, I'm like, okay, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. But then my reasons once, you know, pressed was paper thin, mm -hmm. but I didn't know either. Does the Bible talk about sex? What yeah. does the Bible say? What did you find in your research once you yeah. kind of had that yeah, metal sure. to the metal moment. <laughs> well, first, what a confusing narrative, right? That sex is bad, sex is bad, don't think about it. I always think of the scene in Mean Girls where the coach is sitting down doing sex ed with all the kids in the gym. Yeah. And he's like, don't think about sex. Don't talk about sex. Don't think about thinking about having sex. If you have sex, you will get chlamydia and die. <laughs> like, <clears throat> that's what I think of is that yeah. is the... First, we were taught that we are compartmentalized beings, which I do not adhere to. I believe God created humans holistically, mind, body, spirit. And so any narrative that says part of me is good and part of me is bad is not rooted in a God story. It's rooted in Gnostic dualism. So Gnostic dualism mm -hmm. says my body is bad, but my spirit is good. And often that's been hijacked in a lot of conservative Christian circles, but that's not a Bible narrative. Yeah. The God story starts in Genesis 1, where God breathed life into humanity and said, humans, all humans, regardless of what you do or what you believe or, or anything else, have the God image in them. Yeah. And then God said, humans are very good. And so that means my sexual desire mm -hmm. is a beautiful thing and even reflects something of the divine. Yeah. That means my spirit has the capacity to be very good and God-honoring. It means my body has a capacity to be very good and God-honoring. So when we think about some of these narratives that were given, I always want to ask, where did these come from? Because if I'm going back to my source of truth, which so much of my source of truth comes from my experience of God and the scriptures, I just kept seeing more and more discrepancies between what the text said and what I found in a lot of Christian culture. Um, so when I went on my own little eat, pray, love journey and what, <laughs> you know, what, what do I really believe here? I did find that the Bible had really a, a lot to say about sex. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not silent and, at all. And so I'll kind of go, I'll go new Testament to old Testament. 
I was unsure if the Bible actually said to abstain from sex outside of marriage. And so I was researching the New Testament, and I am actually super bummed with how the Bible is translated because so much gets lost in translation and it gets lost in context. We have no idea really when we're reading the scriptures, what was the cultural context of the moment? The cultural context of the moment was women had no rights. Most women couldn't even read. And most women went from under the authority of their father's household to their spousal household. And their lot in life was to get married and produce a male heir. They had no political rights, no social rights, nothing. And then we see Jesus coming in and spending time alone with women. (laughs) And when women were condemned publicly for adultery and legally and religiously should have been stoned to death, that was the legal consequence. Jesus kneels down and gets eye to eye with a woman and offers her relationship, dignity, and kindness. So everything I was seeing in the scripture was not only countercultural to the societal norms, but also the norms of the church. So I kept seeing this repeated phrase in the New Testament to flee from sexual immorality or to flee from fornication. I'm like, what the heck does that even mean? Like what's sexual immorality? And I literally, when I was writing my book, every time I wrote the word fornicate and fornification, my word, word didn't even know what it was. It like had the red squiggle line underneath it. Like, well, we, this isn't a real word, right? Yeah. So I researched the Greek and the the word there for sexual immorality or fornication is porneia. Now, porneia is obviously where we get words like pornography, And it meant a lot of things, just like there's a lot of different versions for the word love. I love Oreo cookies. I love the bachelorette. I love the new TikTok dance. I love my mom. You know, I I will love my husband one day. So the word love can feel like, well, so what does it really mean? Pornea means everything from pedophilia to bestiality to adultery to really this general word that encompasses any sexual activity outside of marriage. Now, this is where we get the, the biblical theology of not having sex outside of marriage is this repeated <laughs> phrase throughout New Testament, flee from this, run from it, and not like get as close to it as possible without technically crossing the line. Because by the time I was researching it, I was in a game of technicalities. I was like, well, if I didn't technically stay the night, I left at 5 a.m. and my underwear stayed around my ankles. I didn't technically get naked. And if the P didn't go all the way into the V, then I didn't have sex. And so that's the game I was playing. Because all I had been taught was don't have sex. Yeah. And so then I see this repeated biblical narrative of flee from sexual activity outside of marriage. So at the very least, we can say that probably meant sex. Yeah. But the scripture actually isn't totally clear as to what it means. It probably encompassed more than that, which also begs the question, what is sex? Is sex only penis and vagina? What, what about oral sex? Yeah. What about anal sex? What about orgasm? Does orgasm play any role in that? What if you identify as LGBTQ+. Do heterosexuals have the monopoly on virginity? 
And so I was just asking all these questions like, okay, so it does seem clear that there is this invitation repeatedly to flee from, at the very least, sex outside of marriage. So I was like, got it. Okay, there's a rule. But whenever there's, and I don't even want to call it a rule. I like to call it an invitation. Yeah. So when I see that invitation, then I have to ask why. Because what I seem, what seems to be true about who God is, is that God repeatedly says from Old to New Testament, He cares about our heart. Man looks at outward appearance, but I look at the heart. And some of you may be doing the quote unquote right things, but your hearts are far from me. So I was like, God, what's your heart for intimacy? And then I go back to the Old Testament and read the Song of Songs, which is this erotic foreplay sexual handbook that was considered so erotic by many Jewish teachers that their students were not allowed to read it until they came of age. And some Jewish doctors advised their patients not to read the book until they were in their 30s. Wow. So you see that book opening up with the bride saying, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth and his love tastes better than wine. And I want the only place I want my lover is to sleep in between my breasts. And I want him to go down to my garden and feast. What are they talking about there? (laughs) Well, she is giving informed and enthusiastic consent about what she wants to experience sexually in the bedroom with her spouse. And it's not one-sided. He's the same thing. He's saying, I want you, your, your love tastes better than honey. And not only does he want her back, their friends and family are cheering them on. So it's not some secret late night you up text or are we friends or are we not? This husband and wife team are being cheered on by their friends and family because they have a public relationship. There's no hiding. And so their friends are saying, eat, drink, and go be drunk on love with each other. And so I'm like, wow, that's so compelling. How, How safe must they feel to be in this relationship where both of them can say, this is exactly what gives me pleasure. And this is what I want you to do to me. This is what I want to experience with you. That felt so powerful to me because I've never been in a dating relationship where I've experienced that. And then I go all the way back to the Genesis 1 and 2 Adam and Eve story where Adam, you know, Adam meets Eve and the, his only proper response is he is shocked at her beauty and enthralled with her and burst into creative poetry. The first, it's like the only proper response to a woman was utter adoration. And then Adam and Eve get married, leave their, leave their parents' household. And then the scripture says they know each other which AKA they have sex. The same word knowing there is the same word used in the old Testament for God knowing humanity. Mm. So in that sense, sex is not just this technical game or this physical experience, but a manifestation of a mind, body, soul, spirit promise between the two people. And something about that, Katie just felt so compelling to me. Yeah. And and then I looked at Hebrew culture and I found, wow, in Hebrew culture, you left home once. 
You left home once and it was when you got married and everyone knew, everyone in town knew this guy is for this woman. In fact, they couldn't even get married until he built her a house. So he was showing with his time, with his words, with his actions, with his resources, that he was an all in one kind of woman guy and everyone knew about it. Intentions were out in the open. And I just felt like, man, I want to experience a Genesis two type of love. Yeah. And I've been settling for scraps and I don't know, are we friends or is there more? Is this a hookup or what is this? And I just felt like, you know what? I do want to delay the physical I want to say no to something very good and beautiful like sex in order to be connected to a greater God vision. So that's that's what I learned from the Bible. I was like, man, why are we hiding behind rules and shame when there is story in these pages that I feel like the Adam and Eve story and the Song of Song couple, that's what movies should be made about. A hundred percent. I'm over here nodding my head off. So you were in this season, I guess let's, you know, unpack in New York a little bit more. Okay, God, you know, what's the technical line of Mo Isom? I don't know if you follow her. She talks about like virginity and purity are like different things, Mm. but you know, you're kind of like what navigating this world and, and I love that. And then you'd study the scriptures and have this eat, pray, love, (laughs) like diving into all the things and then come out of it. And starting to date again, living in the city, defining what it meant to walk into a healthy relationship. What is a healthy relationship? You know, I always say it sounds like a unicorn, like we've heard heard stories of it, but it's not on TV, at least not very often. And what what did that look like for you? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that felt really important to me was coming to a place where I felt internally motivated and my sexuality as opposed to externally motivated by... Christian culture or by the expectations of others. And so what I mean by that is I, for the most part, was not having sex because I shouldn't have sex Mm -hmm. because that's what other people told me. And that, when you only are doing something because you shouldn't or because you should, you have made yourself a slave to external expectations. And true transformation, I believe, can only happen from the inside out. Yeah. So in any any relationship, really, but if we're talking specifically about romantic relationships, it's so important to be able to show up from a place of groundedness and who I am, what I want, and then have the capacity and tools to communicate that. I think we are living in, we're living in the massive fallout of things like the Me Too movement. We have um, women who have been silenced for generations and we're saying no more. Consent isn't enough. You know, nonverbal cues are not enough. We, that's why we talk about enthused and informed, enthusiastic and informed consent. So how can I show up in my dating relationships and be able to give informed and enthusiastic consent, whether it's actually tonight, I really want Thai food. And I'm allowed to say that. (laughs) I'm allowed to own what it is that I want in this relationship. I know, and, and then going to romantic or physical experiences in, in dating or when you're, when you're in that season to be able to know, okay, I know my why, 
whether it's, I do want to have sex outside of marriage and here's why. And here's how I can communicate that. Or I'm choosing to abstain and here's why. So then when I know my why, and I think that's what that journey did for me, it gave me my why. My why helped me inform the how and the what. So I walked away from that journey knowing, you know what? I actually do still want to abstain. But instead of feeling like a victim to Christianity, it's something that I feel really excited about. So then let me think mindfully about how I want to date. Prior to this, on the many times on the first or second date, I was doing everything but sex. And so I had to really think, is this setting me up for success? If within the first two nights, this is, I'm, I'm like, I've gone to my hard line. Yeah. <laughs> and so I realized, no, actually that probably isn't serving me and that probably isn't setting me up for success. And so how, what do I, what do I want to happen on this date? Whereas before I would kind of get in dating situations or physical encounters with guys and I would have a lot of oopses. Oops. I didn't think it was going to that far. Oops. I didn't mean to drink that, that third or fourth cocktail. Oops. And I noticed for me, not thinking ahead of time about how I wanted to show up was this subtle subconscious strategy to not take responsibility. Yeah. As opposed to cat, if what you really want is to go home with a guy, just own that. Don't pretend that you didn't want that to happen. <laughs> you know, I did one time my mentor was like, Cat, we've been around the block too many times, like for you to say this was an oops, you know. She's like, I just want you in whatever you decide to own it. And so I think as I navigated dating moving forward, because I was so internally motivated, I was very confident in being able to share on date one or date two, hey, just so you know, I, I'm i not having sex until I'm married. And I know that can be a deal breaker both ways. So I just want to be upfront with you and see where you're at. That's a great way to say it. That's, that's exactly how I say it. There's, I'm not like, oh my gosh, what is he going to think? Is he going to reject yeah. me? I don't actually care <laughs> like because if we're out of alignment in that, it's not going to work for us right. and I have nothing to be ashamed about. And then it's okay. So then I get to communicate. Actually, I do feel like kissing tonight. I want that. And instead of playing games, it's just stripped away so much of the insecurity and games that I used to play in dating because now I know, wow, like, what I want is not too much. And I should not, I don't have to be ashamed of any of my boundaries. Be, and I'm not ashamed of someone else's boundaries. If someone else wants to do whatever they want to do, that's their decision. And and so I think it's allowed me to show up with a lot of ownership. I'm not ashamed of my boundaries. Can we put that on a t-shirt? <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. So in, you know, getting ready to interview today, I was just so excited. And Hannah, who works with me at college student, she was like, I would love for you to ask her a few questions. And one of those questions that she wanted you to ask is talking about singleness. Mm -hmm. So this is a, a hot topic, I guess you could say for, for young people or any people really. And as it comes to singleness, especially in the Christian culture, you have a lot of great advice on that. So she was just asking what advice could you give for the girl in the single life and, you know, just navigating that world. Yeah. So first of all, before I go into my little Ted talk, I'm going <laughs> to tell you, here's my caveat. 
I want to be married. I love men. I'm not like the future is female. We don't need dudes. No, I, I love men. I cannot wait to get married. I love dating. I love being set up. So I, I can't wait for that season. So I'm going to say that <laughs> before <Okay>. I say that. <sighs> I want you to be really curious why your longing for marriage is so deep and wide and all-consuming. Why are so many of us obsessed with marriage? Y'all know Jesus-loving young couples are the chai tea to my latte, which is why I'm so excited to partner with Upward Dating App. It's a new app for Christian singles looking for meaningful relationships. I'm so passionate about helping you define what matters, and most girls I mentor say the number one non-negotiable as it relates to dating is having a shared faith, which is very, very good and so important. So my friends, here is my wish for you. Number one, understand the incredible love Christ has for you. Fall head over heels with the only man who can truly complete you. His name is Jesus. Number two, love that beautiful girl staring back at you in the mirror and the incredible masterpiece that God made you to be. And number three, go download the Upward Dating app and walk with clear intentions into a healthy, Jesus-loving relationship. By the way, please DM me the wedding pictures. I love one of my favorite speakers and authors, Chimimanda Gozia-Dichi, and her book and TED Talk, We Should All Be Feminists, says, we teach girls to shrink themselves, to make themselves smaller. We say to girls, you can have ambition, but not too much. You should aim to be successful, but not too successful. Otherwise, you would threaten the man. Because I am female, I am expected to aspire to marriage. I'm expected to make my life choices, always keeping in mind that marriage is the most important. Now, marriage can be a source of joy and love and mutual support, but why do we teach girls to aspire to marriage and we don't teach boys the same? So when I get questions about, oh, I'm struggling in my season of singleness, I think about this. I want to be married, but why? Why do I want to be married? Why do I feel as though my life is on hold. Like God is holding out on me. Like I am the eternal bridesmaid, not the lover that I am forgotten, left behind, or sometimes kind of how I have viewed it in my life is I feel like I keep applying to be a part of this country club and my application <laughs> keeps getting lost in the mail. So what I want to say to someone in her season of singleness is that you have the permission to live your life to the fullest. Preach. Your love life isn't the most interesting part of who you are. And your purpose does not hinge upon a diamond ring. Your life isn't going to start and end one day when this elusive ring comes along. And yeah. by the way, that's putting a crushing weight on your future partner. Yeah. That all of your angst, your existential angst, and worth and value and dignity and purpose hinges upon this one person if that is where you're at. And often that's subtle. It's subconscious. Mm -hmm. Consciously, I never would have said, I'm looking for, I'm looking for a sugar daddy. I'm looking for a financial savior. I'm looking for someone to give me all the things I want in my life. And my life is on hold. I would never have said that with my mouth. But my actions and the posture of my heart said that. And so I just say, get to know yourself. What are things that light you up? What do you get excited about? 
do more of those things. I'm so grateful that I didn't get married right after college or in college or in my mid-20s because I never would have left Texas. I never would have worked in the nonprofit world and traveled all over the U.S. and worked in Uganda. I never would have stumbled into the photography world and then started a photography business and did editorial fashion photography in New York. I never would have started The Refined Woman or gone skinny dipping in Guatemala or bungee jumping over the Nile River or lived out of a van and traveled all over the U.S. meeting people. And I'm so grateful that God didn't give me what I wanted when I wanted it because only in hindsight do I see the truth that Ephesians 3 talks about that God's plans are more creative and abundant than we could ever hope or imagine for. So my big plan of marriage and children is beautiful, but God's plan for me is bigger. God's plan for me is bigger. It might include those things and it might not, regardless if it does or doesn't, has nothing to do with my purpose or calling. I think that's the big thing is let's stop living our lives like our purpose hinges upon marriage. Let's stop living our lives like they will finally start when you get married. Because guess what? You're going to get married and then that's going to satiate the thirst for a minute. And then it's when we're going to have kids. And then my life will be complete when I have a kid. And then my life will be complete when we get a bigger house. Then my life will be complete when I don't have toddlers anymore. My life will be complete when I lose those 20 pounds. My life will be complete when my husband loses those 20 pounds. My life will be complete when we have retirement. All you're doing is chasing. Yeah. So two encouragements for you. Seek healing like, like your life depended on it because it does. And if you don't heal your past, it will haunt you. One of the best things you can do in your singleness and any season of life is to invest into your wholeness, go to therapy, go to a 12-step program, do life deeply with others, be willing to take responsibility for your own ish <laughs> and work yes. through it. And then second, put yourself out there. If dating and a relationship is something valuable to you, be just as intentional about your dating life as you are about your career. We'll move all over the world for internships and we'll spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on our education. But with love, we say stuff like, well, I don't want to play God. Or if it's if it's meant to be, it'll happen. Or I I, I don't I don't wanna, you know, I don't want to take the reins here. Well, if you want to be a neurosurgeon, you're going to have to do more than just pray about it. Yeah. <laughs> Why is that different in dating? I think we hide behind spiritual language because really we're afraid of rejection. If you want to date, put yourself out there. Go on an online dating app. Go talk to that guy that you think is cute that you've been eyeing all semester. Go ask him out. <laughs> the worst he can say is no. And then you have clarity so that you can be emotionally available for another guy. Also, best case scenario, Maybe he was shy and was too afraid to ask you out, just like Boaz was afraid to make yeah. a move towards Ruath, or Ruath, <laughs> Ruth. So she proposed marriage to him. So those are my those are my thoughts on the on the season of singleness question. Drop the mic, concur, concur with all of the things. <laughs> this is a hot topic I talk about a lot too, and I love what you said that you wouldn't have consciously said. Hey, elusive dream boy that I'm looking for. I want you to fill all my broken places so we can walk into the sunset on matching unicorns. Like, no, but we, we do that subconsciously and think that uh, a guy will, will complete us is the Jerry yeah. Maguire quote, right? Yeah. 
Oh, it's such un- a problematic movie. I feel like right? that and Cruel Intentions. Like I was like, yes. oh, I should date the emotionally unavailable guy. He will change for me. <laughs> How did you change your attitude toward dating? You talked about this a little bit, but like, you know, going into New York, your first younger days, having your big... <laughs> you probably love moment, but how, how do those attitudes change? Yeah. So I would say mindset is everything. Yeah. Our mindset creates our reality and that's not weird and woo woo. It's just true. Yeah. <laughs> our mindset creates our reality. In second Corinthians 10, five, the apostle Paul says, take every thought captive is not a one-time thing. It's continuously constantly be taking your thoughts captive because our thoughts determine our brain neuropathways and our brain sets into motion our actions. And so there's this idea that, wow, our thoughts are powerful. So how did I change my attitude towards dating? I changed my attitude towards dating. So what, like what I ask is what are your current attitudes towards dating? Dating sucks. Online dating doesn't work. There's no good guys left. Guys only want one thing. Boys will be boys. I'm always in the friend zone. I'm always alone. I'm forgotten. I'm left behind. Guys only want something casual. Notice what those some of those beliefs are. Here's the thing is that our brains are pattern makers. The dopamine, dopamine is a neurotransmitter that's released from the reward center of our brain that's designed to create patterns. So we get these neural pathways, which are like these bicycle paths in our brain. And the more something happens, the more a thought happens, the more an action happens, that bicycle lane just gets well grooved. And so always in the friend zone, that probably happened a couple times. And then your brain is like, oh, that's a pattern. That's a pattern. Okay, so when she likes someone, she's always the friend. And so since our brains are pattern makers, they're always on the hunt for evidence. So then everything that does or doesn't happen is ammunition for your cause, whether it's I'm a piece of crap. No guy's ever like me. I'll only get love when I lose a certain amount of weight. I... I will never find what I want. I'm a woman in a man's world. I'll never get the breakthrough. Breakthrough always happens for her, not for me. Your brain neurologically was set up to look for evidence to make those beliefs more and more and more true. And so ask yourself, what are you committed to? Are you committed to belief that online dating sucks and doesn't work? Well, then you'll find evidence for it. So be curious, what are the narratives that you think about when you think about yourself, dating, your sexual desire, and ask yourself, are these narratives serving me? What are these narratives rooted in? 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God did not give me a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. There it is again. Our minds are powerful. How do I have a sound Mm -hmm. mind? Oh, I do what Paul says and I take my thoughts captive because my mindset creates my reality. So are your your thoughts rooted in fear, scarcity, a victim mentality, or John 10, 10, Jesus came to give me an abundant life? Or is it rooted in abundance and in love and hope and possibility? And how can you begin to embark on an evidence hunt for possibility and hope? in your love life. And really this is what faith is. Faith is leaning into the unseen. 
Faith says, just because it's been this way before doesn't mean it has to be this way moving forward. Faith is saying, okay, here's what my circumstances are. Here's what my reality has been. And you probably feel like online dating sucks because you've had an experience where it feels like online dating sucks. You probably feel like you're in the friend zone because you've been in the friend zone. But faith acknowledges reality and then chooses to lean into the possibility of a more hopeful, a more redeemed, a more restored reality. That's what faith is. So what narratives would serve you? Oh, online dating is awesome. Why do I know it's awesome? Well, because only 2.6% of couples meet in the church and 40% of them meet online. So it can and does work. And it's also possible that it could work for me. Oh man, I always in the friend zone. Wow. I was in the friend zone before and that sucked. And I might be in the friend zone again and that will suck. But also it's 1000% possible that a guy and I could have a romantic connection. So why not believe that? If we're going to be on the evidence hunt for anything, why not hope? Romans 5, 5 says, hope doesn't put me to shame. Oh my gosh. I'm reading this book called Atomic Habits. And it says, I wrote this as a note on my phone, but it says, every action you take is a vote for the type of person you want to become. And then just taking those actions and convincing yourself of it. Because every time you, you know, every time I open my Word document and I start working on a book, I'm convincing myself I'm an author, you know, Mm -hmm. just taking those actions to convince yourself. So yeah. What about just convincing yourself that you date with intention and you know, you can find what you're looking for because Mm -hmm. it definitely can be done. Yeah. 100%. I mean, what would you say is one of the biggest mistakes young women believe about dating or tend to make? Yeah. So I think believing the lie that guys should do all the work, all the pursuing, Mm -hmm. all the leading. And so if you like a guy you have just as much permission to make movement towards him as he does you. And also, oh, you, oh, I'm old fashioned cat, you know, chivalry. Okay. Do you want to know what happened in the Victorian era? When a woman liked a guy, she took her, her little hanky out. She looked him in the eye from across the room, smiled and dropped that hanky. And that was his green light. Okay. This girl's interested in me. And she's giving me the green light to approach her. And we see it's actually in a scene in Bridgerton as well. Daphne does it. Daphne drops her hanky. Another thing they would do is the swoon. They would faint. (laughs) Don't do that. Um, But how can you drop the hanky? How can you let a guy know I'm interested in you romantically? To give him the green light that, hey, I want to go out with you. Whether that's, hey, if you're you've been looking really buff lately. Have you been working out? Or wow, your eyes look great with that shirt. Or, you know, I I was thinking about you. We should hang out sometime. Or, hey, I really enjoy this friendship. I, I really like talking with you. Would you ever be open to going on a date? So I think we believe this lie that guys should do all the work. And we wonder why no guy is asking us out when all we're doing is only hanging out with other girls and female centric activities. And then if if we go to the party, we stay in our huddle with with all girls, which is extremely intimidating for any guy to approach. Sounds like so, a middle school party. <laughs> totally. But doesn't, I mean, I'm in my 30s. The same thing happens. My friend at a party a couple years ago said, if you want to, she said, get off the dance floor for a few minutes and go 
go over, stand by the bar. See, those that's where all the guys are standing. You're like, why aren't guys asking me out? She's like, you're in a dance huddle with a bunch of girls. Even the most confident guys are going to come up to that. Yeah. So if you want to meet someone, why don't you go up and talk to that guy over there? So oh, have, that's so good. Yes. You have the permission to put yourselves out there. You have the permission to make contact, to let him know that you're interested, to communicate what you want to happen in the relationship. I like this friendship, but I also like you more than friends, and I'd be open to exploring that. So good. You probably know Kate uh, at Heart of Dating. She talks about that. It says, drop the hanky, girls. Drop the hanky. Yeah. Do you want to know where she got that from? The Victorian area? I don't know. You? Not for me. I taught, I taught Kate about dropping the hanky. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, of course you did. You're amazing. I love that. <laughs> I had her on the podcast a while back and, and she was talking about it. I'm like, wait, what, what is drop the hanky? And yep. now I know the source. Yep. Yep. And my source of that was one of my older roommates, but yeah, Kate and I were talking. I was like, girl, you got to drop that hanky. She's like, what's that? <laughs> Let me tell you some things. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. I love this. Well, gosh, Kat, I could talk to you for forever. This is incredible information. Is there anything that you want to say about the book? I know it is like, fresh off the press and so many just incredible nuggets of wisdom. I want girls to get their hand on it. It's called sexless in the city. Um, yeah. Just tell us a little bit nugget about it real quick. Yeah. So first of all, if you are curious, you can go to sexlessinthecitybook.com and you can see my book trailer. You can order it directly from the website, all that good stuff. And yeah, the, the book is my journey of so much of what we're talking about, moving to New York city, dating, coming to a fork in the road moment in my own life where I didn't know what I believed about God, sex, my body, dating. So I went on a journey and asked a ton of hard questions. And the book is me unpacking those questions and deconstructing and then rebuilding a new sexual ethic rooted in freedom, not fear. So that's, it's practical. It also, you know, there's some, there's some funny stories, there's some heartbreaking stories and it's, it's really kind of everything in between. I love that. And before we got on, she was talking about just having a passion for college students. So if that's you, you know, make sure you give her a follow on Instagram, check out that book, Sexless Sexless in the City. It's hard for me to say sometimes, Sexless in the City. And tell them where they can find you on Instagram and your podcast name again. Yeah. So Instagram and my website is The Refined Woman. And my podcast is The Refined Collective. I love that. Well, I'm not going to let you go before I ask the age old question. If you could have coffee with your 20 year old self, what would you say? I would say that you are so enough, not some future or past version of you. You are so enough. And girl, you don't even know. You don't even know the wild ride we're about to go on. So just enjoy it and trust the process. Trust the process. Drop the mic. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Kat. This is amazing. I know everyone's going to love this episode. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Everything I do started with having coffee dates with my younger friends. And this podcast I like to imagine is just that you and I having a coffee date. And if it went by too quickly for anyone else besides just me, there are plenty more episodes to check out in the archive. So just scroll up, find a topic that suits your fancy and give it a listen. If an episode made a difference in your life, take a screenshot, share it on social, give me a tag at Katie Wilmer Life so I can give you a big virtual hug. 
and leaving those reviews on iTunes. It is a chai tea latte to my soul to see your reviews. And thank you so much for each of you who keep coming back week after week and getting some truths for your 20s. Hi, I'm Hannah. Thanks for listening to my mom's podcast. And my work here is done. Special thanks to Upward for sponsoring this episode. Make sure you go check them out in the App Store.